Hello folks, welcome to another episode of Beer, Baseball, and Binds. I'm Steve Carpenter, Chief Supply Chain Officer for Yakima Chief, and I'm here with Joe Catron, who's the Director of Operations for Yakima Chief Ranches. Joe, good to have you back on again. Steve, good to be with you, sir. It's a beautiful uh, sunny day out there uh, today, and uh, we'll get into a little bit on where we're at with the hop cycle in a little bit, Joe. You can help us out there, but... First, I'd like to welcome a special guest, a longtime friend of mine, Brian Bechard, who is the president of United Malt, uh, president of Warehouse and Distribution. Good to have you on the show, Brian. How are things back there in Champlain? Things are going pretty well, Steve. Thank you. I'm very happy to be invited back. Um, I think it was almost a year ago when I was on on this last time in uh, at City Field. Yeah. with with Mike. Yeah, back there uh, doing it, and I think you guys also got a chance to go watch the Mets, if I remember right. We did, and the Mets were off to an awesome start last last year, so uh, right now we're tied for the division lead, so we're we're doing pretty good. How long has it been since the Mets were undefeated at this point in the season? Yeah, I I think (laughs) quite some time. Yeah, who who would have thought uh, back three or four months ago that we'd be in this uh, uh, current challenge that we're in? It's uh, I, I think it's caused us all to look at life a little bit differently. And uh, I know that uh, uh, here at Yakima Chief, we've been doing our best just to do risk assessment. And uh, uh, one of the things that you've got going, Brian, is just uh, being a longtime strategic partner of ours and just helping us get our hops to uh, that long tail, those uh, breweries that are microbreweries and uh, smaller customers. And you've done such a great job at that. And now that seems to be the group that uh, is really taking a brunt of these uh, shutdowns and lockdowns and things that our politicians have decided we need to do. Can you give us just a little idea, Brian, of of what's going on there and uh, what we can do to help? Right. I I think uh, talking about this the other day with my my wife, I think it's been almost 20 years or close to 20 years we've been working together now. So it's some time time ago. It doesn't seem that long. But uh, anyway, this situation certainly unprecedented with with our customers, um, we, we sell, you know, a segment of hops into these smaller customers to enable that one-stop shop when they couple all their all their ingredient needs on one or two pallets at a time. So typically, we'd be selling into the micros, the tap rooms, the brew pubs, and, and breweries of that size. And that is, no doubt, the on-premise is is hit is significantly hit. But we are seeing, you know, one thing you could count on with the with the craft brewers is their ability and desire to innovate and uh unfortunately some of the laws have enabled them to be able to uh to sell um curbside and and deliveries in different states i don't know if it's nationwide or not but uh certainly is here in new york um, where i'm based out of so so they are they are struggling um and it's just watching them uh work through this working through account with accounts on a, on a case-by-case basis to see what we can do 
to help them to be a good partner. Um, that's the one thing in this industry that's, that's always impressed me is the certainly the innovation, but the willingness to work together um, uh, during times um, that are good and both bad. So. Yeah. I know the uh, the other challenge with some of the uh, smaller customers is a high percentage of those folks are startups and probably aren't as well capitalized as some of our larger regional customers as well. Uh, are are you seeing some issues with uh, with that, Brian? Yes, we are, but at the same time, there there's some that are are small enough where they can you know they'll be able to to sustain somewhat sustained for a short period of time obviously they need to get open uh, sooner than later um, but fortunately I mean they're not as capitalized but they're not as capital as big capital requirements on some of those ends too so sure that's a good point obviously the biggest concern we have is with the people and and then with their their you know with rent and things like that when obviously that, that those payments and requirements continue yeah. Um, regardless of whether you're selling a beer or or thousands of beer uh, over the over the bar, um, so that is that's a big concern of ours. And just talking to these customers and uh, staying in touch and and continuing to uh, really push on the the relationships that we have that have that have helped us build our business and to talk to to the customers and say we're in this together and what can we do to help. Sure. Yeah, Brian, is the, talking about your business, it is such a unique business model. You know, how did, uh, in 95, how did you and your, your dad decide to, to get into the business you got into? Yeah, it's a funny story. My, my brother is, is much older than me. I make sure to tell him that all the time. <laughs> he's, uh, he's retired now. He was a customs agent, so well, well established in his career with the family, uh, but was a home brewer in the, the late 80s, early 90s, and uh, found it tough to find proper malt my dad had retired from his his job um his career and then but he was still relatively young i wasn't too long out of college and uh and tom said you know you guys ought to do something together see, see if this is something you'd be interested in and we looked at it and said well this might be a commercial brewing brewing play as we started to see some of them them uh, popping up in different different areas and states enabling that that to happen with law changes so uh so we started with uh, in a in a shed behind my dad's house with i think we had six bags of malt in the <laughs> delivery van and no, no customers so i had to i had to get out there and, and try to convince someone to buy from us but it was it was we learned from the customer what to do and what they needed and what they were looking for and that one-stop shop model developed not long after that, especially once we got pallet pricing in place, um, you know, the big heavy heavy part is primarily the malt. You add hops and, and such to the top of that. Um, they ride freight free. Everything shows up at one time, and it, uh, it minimizes or it's an ease of doing business factor for the customer, too, and uh, helps them manage their working capital and such. So that's been a – that's really been the basis of the model, and then obviously – when you put hops and malt together, there is no natural conflict between the two. Um, they work well, um, and that is obviously your basis and our basis has always been to take, take care of the customer, put the customer first, and uh, 
that model or that mantra has worked well for us um, through nearly 20 years. Yeah, it's been a, a great partnership, Brian. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we were able to collaborate on here just recently, and, and, and we had uh, um, a, a social media, I guess it was a Zoom meeting uh, with our friends at Pink Boot Society. And mm-hmm. uh, that's been a, an organization that has been able to provide scholarship support for uh, women brewers uh, to get women um, more involved in the in the brewing of the beer. And uh, just last week, uh, we were able to partner up with uh, Brian, you and your organization, and uh, provide uh, over $100,000 a donation through a special blend that we put together and that uh, you folks there at United Malt helped us to uh, get out to some of our smaller customers. So thanks for uh, being a great partner and, and being part of that effort to uh, give back to the industry, Brian. Well, thank you. We're very proud of that, and we think they do they do great work. One of the one of the early pioneers, um, Terry Ferendorf, actually works uh, with us in our organization. And uh, great. Uh, I think she was the original founder of that, or one of them. I'm not positive of that, but, uh, but uh, we're very proud to be be sponsoring that with you, and uh, and along with all the other things that we try to do together. Yeah, normally we make that presentation at our Here We Grow event. That uh, again, uh, Yakima Chief Ranches, Yakima Chief Hops, and and uh, Country Malt Group or United Malt now helps to sponsor at the Craft Brew Conference. And obviously, with that getting canceled due to the uh, COVID, uh, we we had to kind of take an alternative route to uh, uh, getting that uh, check to our our friends at the Pink Boots Society. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's great. So, you know, one of the, th- the privileges I've had uh, in, in getting to know you, Brian, over the years is to uh, get to know your father a little bit, Claude, and he yep, is yep. an absolute treasure. I mean, it's, uh, h- how's he doing? He is doing well. They're, they're, in, they're in Florida, so we're, we're keeping them in Florida, uh, staying put. Um, so he and my mom are both, both, both healthy uh, and uh Staying put, uh, at first, you know, how, how it goes, uh, you know, the denial, this probably isn't going to be that big a deal. And finally, we, we came to a, an agreement that they, they needed to stay stay put to ensure they'd stay healthy. So we're yep. pretty happy that they're doing that. Uh, and in fact, as you talk about the Here We Grow, it wasn't long ago um, when we celebrated Claude's uh, 80th birthday at, uh, at one of those events. And, we uh, did. Two years ago. And where was that? In Nashville, I think, right? Yep. So, yep. That, um, that was great. Um, it's just too bad he was not able to get elected president because... Uh, yes, that's right. I, I yeah, was, the, I was definitely... president. <laughs> 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 I'm sure he would have handled this uh, whole COVID thing a little bit different than maybe <laughs> the current president, but uh, that would have been interesting. But... Uh, so be, before we get into to baseball, Joe, um, because I know that's the real reason the three of us are on this podcast to talk about baseball and the, the Mets, uh, let's, uh, let's fill our listeners in a little bit on uh, what's going on out there in the fields right now. Sure. Yeah, uh, we're getting close to uh, kind of wrapping up planting season right now. There's, uh, you know, for the listeners that aren't aware out there, there's uh, kind of two, two ways we'll, we'll go about planting a new field and one will be 
uh, you know, digging up rhizomes from an existing field and then getting those replanted into a new field. Uh, usually happening in, in as early in the spring as possible, uh, get those roots planted and get those plants going. And then the other option is, is taking those cuttings uh, or, or maybe even taking softwood cuttings and, and building pots that will uh, plant later in the season. So uh, we're just getting kind of towards the end of getting all the pots distributed uh, all over the northwest and getting those in the ground. And we've got a few more pots uh, still being made in, in some of our uh, partner nurseries around the northwest. And so, uh, yeah, it's nice to kind of get to that point in the season where we got everything in the ground and then uh, some other cultural practices kind of this time of year, depending on the age of that field. Uh, sometimes the variety can dictate some of the cultural practices as well. But, um, you know, a lot of burn backs and, and getting uh, getting a nice uniform crop growing and, and then getting those strings hung and getting the plants trained on the strings. So, um, yeah, it's it's kind of a, an exciting time in the, in the industry here around the valley. We're kind of getting a lot of the plants onto the string and they're going to start uh, climbing, climbing that trellis. So it's a, uh, it's kind of a beautiful time around the valley. Yeah, hop growers start getting a little bit nervous this time of the year because it's it's really vitally important. I I think probably the second most important time of the year, other than getting our harvest date right, is getting that training date right. Starting that little uh, buying up the string at the right time. If you if you train too early, uh, you can get early bloom, and you you know. You, you won't get the growth up to the top of the wire, and if you train too late, you'll have the other side. So you've got uh, uh, probably even a tighter window than picking windows to get that little uh, little hop plant on the string. Yeah, and Steve, so, as you know, too, you've more farming experience than uh, you've forgotten more about farming than, than I know, right? But, uh, you know, every, every farm kind of has their own methodology. Some folks just uh, stick to a... Well, we we string that variety on the seventh of May every year, and it doesn't mm-hmm. uh, doesn't really matter. And some people uh, kind of move around and are a little more nimble year to year, I guess. Um, but yeah, like you said, it's it's a, a kind of controlled controlled chaos out there. There's definitely some science behind it, but uh, everybody kind of just uh, hopes for the best and to get them on the string and hope for the best as far as the crop goes. Yep, that's right. And uh, you know, and we we haven't quite started the baseball season yet, but uh, Brian, what are you hearing about when uh, when things might kick off and how they might do it? I'm not hearing much. It bounces back and forth, right? I've seen some things on hockey and uh, on basketball, but I haven't seen a lot about a lot of news about baseball. Obviously, I'd like to see my Mets this year um, do well, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful they'll get back to playing. Uh, or at least get some part of the season in, because obviously if that happens, then it's probably a good indicator that things are are improving um, with COVID-19 as well. Yeah. You know, I've uh, obviously kept pretty close tabs on this because all three of us are baseballaholics, and and we just want to get back to that live baseball. Uh, One of the things I read this morning is the Korean League's going to start up and actually – MLB.com is going to cover part of that. So live baseball is live baseball. I'm going to be tuning in. I don't know about anybody else. Agreed. Um, yeah, they've been playing some uh, fanless games in the in the Taiwanese league for a couple of weeks now, and yeah. uh, players seem to be uh, kind of you know accepting that and kind of becoming used to that new normal. Um, yeah. Get the competitive juices flowing. Like you said, at least we can watch some games on TV. That'd be helpful for the rest yeah. of us. That would be fun. I tell you, I'm. Uh, I'm having withdrawal symptoms right now. 
but uh, yeah, the Mets uh, on paper they look uh, look like a pretty decent team this year, Brian. They do. I mean, I'm, I'm obviously I don't expect Pete Alonso to have another season like he did last year. Maybe <laughs> a sophomore slump, but the, he was if he can be eighty percent of what he was last year would be great. The pitching looks, I mean, on paper good. It's just like it is for most teams. It's it's health, right? So that that worries me. Is you've got some some older gentlemen on there, but they are starting to get younger. They do have some some really good young players. Conforto impresses me. Um, yeah, he's uh, Conforto is actually a Seattle kid that uh, played his college ball at Oregon State. Yep. Um, but uh, what he must have had? Did he have thirty home runs last year? I think he more did. than that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was amazing what Alonzo did, it, breaking breaking the record of uh, what was the fellow's name from New York who had it a couple of years ago or the year before. So, yeah. Um, was it Judge? Yeah. Did he break yeah. Judge, Judge's record? That, yeah. that other team in New York. Yeah, exactly. The other team, <laughs> the team my dad likes. With I don't hold that against. Him. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, we. Uh, we tolerate the Mets around here. We just absolutely hate the Yankees. Uh, That's right. Truth yeah. be told. Well, I got to see your uh, your Mariners beat the Mets a couple of years ago, which wasn't a great day for me, but it was still fun to be at the ballpark. You know, I barely remember that 10-1 to 1 spanking that we gave the Mets. Yep. Uh, it's just, uh, <laughs> it's all foggy. I uh, don't think our asses were in the seats and we were already losing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was a rarity, too, because... Uh, the Mets had probably the better team that that year, but uh, we we picked the right one to go to, Brian. Uh, <laughs> it was fun, but hey, you know uh, we've got. Uh, it looks like uh, you know several of the players in the Mets uh, were former Mariners. You know, Robbie Cano, uh, That's uh, right. your second yeah. baseman, uh, Edwin Diaz, uh, yeah. who. Uh, great, great. Uh, he had, uh, I, w- I would call that probably an up and down year last year. It was rough. I mean, if he had it, had it, you know, close to the year he had before in, in Seattle, we, we'd have made the playoffs. So. Yeah. Brian, what do, you, what, do you, what do you think you could attribute that to? You think that's a small-town kid coming to the Big Apple and getting rocked TV, by all the – But he could play in New York. But, I mean, playing in playing for the Mets, not, I mean, it's probably a little different than playing for the – the, the Yankees, but still, you're in New York City, so um, it's probably well, not not the easiest place to play baseball. I got to be honest, I, I I miss seeing Eddie. Uh, he was fun to watch while he was here. Um, I got to be honest, though, I'm pretty excited about what we return uh, to the Mariners well, in that trade. Every chance I get, I remind Brian of that kid, yeah. Jared Kalenic. Um He's the real deal, uh, and. Uh, Hopefully, the a, a future place in the Mariner uh, outfield. Um, I got a quick Jared Clinic story. Uh, you know, Joe, you came down to spring training for a couple days, yep. and, and we went to a game together. But uh, I had uh, one week where two of my grandsons came down with me, Brian, and spent a week. And uh, I had uh, a dozen baseballs that I challenged the kids uh, each take you know, a couple dozen, each take a dozen and, and go out and get uh, uh, autographs. And uh, I told him that Jared Clinic had to be on their list because he mm-hmm. was going to be a good one at some day and, and they needed to get it. So as it turned out, um, 
we took the boys over to the uh, Diamondbacks ballpark. They were playing the Mariners that day, and I like to get to the game early. So walked in with the two grandsons, and a lady came up to us and said, Hey, would you like to be Bat Boys today? And they said, yeah, we'd love to. <laughs> and she says, well, the only bad news is the Diamondbacks already have there, so we need a couple guys to help the Mariners out. And <laughs> they were even more excited then. So they got to spend the day in the dugout with the Mariners and actually had a conversation with Jared Clinic. He told them to shut up, to respect the dugout, and not to be playing around. <laughs> so here's a 20-year-old kid telling my <laughs> 12 and 13-year-old grandsons, and I just I says you know remember that because that mm-hmm. is great advice. Always respect the game. This kid works hard. I mean, you go you you go to the training before the games. He's out there working hard. He's running sprints, working on his batting, his fielding, everything else. He's he's going to be a good one. And and the day after the kids got to be bat boys. Um, they got his autograph at practice, and he remembered them. He says, "You guys, you guys were in the dugout yesterday, weren't you?" And uh, so, that's my Jared Clinic story. I've told the grandkids, "Remember that uh, he's going to be a good one someday." That's great. Yeah, that was not uh, my favorite trade that the Mets had. <laughs> well, we like um, it on this end. We're usually I'm on sure the. Sure, you do. <laughs> We're usually on the short end of those trades, but uh, and I tell you, I was kind of nervous too because Diaz, his last year with the Mariners, he had what fifty plus saves, yep. and he was it's awesome. He was yep. lights out. He was electric. Yeah, I mean, he had that. He was locating his fastball and that little slider that he had. Uh, when you have a hundred mile an hour fastball and and uh, have a nasty slider, that's a pretty it's kind of unfair combination. It's a little unfair. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it just looked like his ball didn't have the movement that he used to have. I mean, he still had most of his speed, right? But the movement that he that he had in in Seattle just didn't come to New York. So yeah. you know how great these batters are. I mean, no matter how fast you throw it, if it's coming in on a on a rope, they're going to hit it. So. Yep, exactly right. And uh, so it's I you know it's never lucky to go through Tommy John sur- surgery, but. Uh, Sounds like Cinderground, you know, is uh, he's he's going to be out for probably the year, but I guess this would be a good year to be out on. Exactly, and and it worked. I mean, Degrom came back pretty pretty well. Took him a little bit, but he's mm-hmm. he's playing. He's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of him, I was uh, and uh, I was sitting next to him and didn't even know it in. Uh, Oh, in a rock bottom in in Chicago on on Grand, and uh, <laughs> finally I looked over it about three times when they were playing the Cubs uh, in the National League pennant um, a few years back. So yeah. Finally, I asked him, and he goes, "Yep, I'm him, and I'm pitching tonight." I'm like, well, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> "Did you buy him a beer?" <laughs> no, it, I think he, I offered, but he was walking out. <laughs> You know, I've always liked Marcus Stroman too. You know, he's not very big, oh. but uh, that guy can. Uh, he's a competitor. Pitch. Yeah, yeah, like his fire. He uh, he likes yeah, to compete. I competes. was surprised the Mets traded and got him in the, at that point in the the year, but you know, I like him too. I mean, I think he adds adds certainly something to that rotation, and to and he's I guess he's a, said to be a pretty good teammate, so it's good for the dugout. Yeah. 
Is Ioannis uh, Cespedes, is he still with the with the club? He is, and, and I mean, what a talent he is, but uh, he just can't stay stay healthy. So yeah. right now it looks like he'll be back, and we'll just see how long how long he can stay on the field. Yeah. Because he certainly changes things up in that lineup. You bet. How long have you been a Mets fan, uh, Brian? Well, I believe I was probably, it was the early 80s, so... And I was always a Gary Carter fan when he was sure. with the X. And then when Gary Carter went to the Mets, so did I. So that was there. You go. Early '80s, and uh, and I think I was 15. So I'll tell you how old I was when they won in '86. Right. So yeah. That was, that was against still the Red. Waiting for another one of those. Against the Red Sox, right? In That's 86? right. Yep. Right. That I have was... signed uh, Bill Buckner and, and uh, Wookie Wilson uh, <laughs> picture when poor Bill Buckner booted one on first base, allowing the Mets to come back and win in Game Six. That was Game uh, Six, yeah. Yeah, he was down at spring training two years ago, and I I happened to get his autograph, and uh, unfortunately he passed away last year. Uh, mm-hmm. had, it's uh, too bad. I mean, that guy had a, an amazing career to be remembered for that play. Oh amazing. yeah. He, he was like a life lifetime 290 hitter and uh you know everyone remembers that that play where he just he, he could barely walk and, and he had a he lot of been in the game at that he, point he had a lot of leg injuries that year and uh but he still i think he had 18 home runs and really was one of the reasons the red sox made it to the series and always yep. felt he was unfairly uh uh made fun of for that that one play but uh, yep. I did get a chance, you know, at spring training, he's there auto- signing autographs to get a chance to chat with him a little little bit. And uh, he actually moved to Boise, Idaho, and was uh, a realtor down there, kind of his second career, very successfully. And uh, <laughs> we talked a little bit about that. But uh, unfortunately, he uh, he passed away uh, last yep. spring, about a year ago, I think, something like that. But, uh, yeah, and then... You know, I'm a little bit older than you, Brian, but uh, I can remember vividly the uh, 69 Mets in that team. And, uh, you know, they had uh, Tom Seaver was the ace of that uh, team, and and I think Gil Hodges was the uh, manager. And uh, the other guy in that pitching staff was uh, a young fellow by the name of Nolan Ryan. Right, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think he was 22 years old at the time. Tug McGraw, too. Yep, Tug was on that team, yep, coming out of the bullpen. And yep. uh, I can still remember in the World Series that year, um, I think it was the left fielder. I could have that wrong, but Ron Swoboda mm-hmm. was just flying around the outfield, laying out, making catches left and right. And uh, it, it was uh, – uh, Fun to watch that uh, series. And then I think the next year, maybe the year after, of course, my boyhood idol baseball player, Willie Mays, mm-hmm. went back to New York and finished his career out uh, with the Mets as well. Yep. Uh, so uh, he wasn't the same Willie Mays that he was when he left New York, but uh, right. <laughs> nevertheless, uh, that's where he ended up with his career as well. So, uh, well, good. Yeah, hey. I, I wasn't around back then at the 69 Mets, so I have seen, him, seen one, and I'm hopeful 
before I call it a day that I get to see him win another one. So. Well, that's uh, maybe we can just hope for that Dream World Series where the Mets and the Mariners uh, go at yeah. each other. And Joe's sitting here cracking. The, he's laughing. Hey, it's a strange world out there. Yeah. You never know. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> you never know. Well, hey, Brian, thanks so much for uh, joining us on our podcast uh, this week. Uh, I'm not sure when you're going to be out here next, but uh, always look forward to catching up with you and having a beer and talking a little bit of baseball. And uh, how often do you get out to Vancouver now? Typically, I'd be out there around once a month, but, you know, obviously during this situation, we're all grounded. Yep, yep, good. I did uh, (laughs) happen to... uh, have a couple beers and some dinner with uh, Greg Freeberg uh, while I was down in Arizona. And um, that guy, he may be a retired CEO from your organization, but I don't think he's ever going to give up on keeping up with what's going on in the the malt and the the beer world. Uh, No, it's definitely in his blood, no doubt about it, and we still talk quite often. Yeah, probably probably figuratively and, and literally. Probably with Greg knowing him. Uh, <laughs> beer in his blood. Well, he's brewing beer in his garage. <laughs> he, he is. And, and he's, he's fantastic he, beer, too. So. It, it's amazing beer. Uh, mm-hmm. And he's got not only the brewery there in Vancouver at his home, but he's also got, uh, I think he calls them what, Shed House? Brewing? Shed Brothers. Shed Brothers. That's Wait, what it is. Steve, is this the guy yep. that you bring out yes, to get fresh hops? Okay, I've met him a couple times. Yeah. He always comes out, he calls me up a couple days ahead of time, and he wants to come out and get some fresh hop mosaics. And Joe Mm -hmm. uh, is our uh, hero there in terms of uh, people like uh, Greg that like to come out and get those fresh hops. And then he gets up early in the morning, about 4, leaves Vancouver, drives up. We have breakfast together and then head out to Joe, and and, uh, we let him go out and kind of pick the vine that he wants. Yep, yep. Joe pulls it down, takes it into the little wolf picker, and, and off he goes with uh, a couple sacks of fresh hops for his beer. So, Well, I'm yeah. glad to hear he's make, at least making good beer with it. Oh, and he's mashing in uh, not too long after he gets home. So. Yep, yep, him and his, his brewing buddy, Dennis. Uh, That's right. So, uh, yeah, good stuff. Hey, Brian, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, please uh, let us know when you're uh, in the area next time. We'll get together and have a beer, and uh, let's hope that this baseball season gets rolling here as soon as possible, and and that means the beer's going to flow and our customers are back to uh, brewing beer with uh, with our malt and our hops. That sounds, that sounds great, Steve. All right. Thank you both. Thanks, Joe, and uh, you guys take care. Thanks a lot, Brian. Take care, brother.